Texas clocks in at nearly 268,000 square miles, making it the second largest state in the nation. Colorful mountains, sandy beaches, and sprawling metroplexes fill the Lone Star State's vast landscape. Despite the differences, every part of Texas shares one common interest, a football stadium in nearly every corner. Over 1,200 high school football teams grace the state of Texas with big plays and even bigger tackles, according to Max Preps. Thousands of children try to capture a sliver of glory in their backyard, just hoping to make it to the big leagues one day. Earl Campbell was one of these children. He played for the University of Texas at Austin before making his NFL debut with the Houston Oilers, and later, the New Orleans Saints. There's a simple way to describe Campbell's running style a wrecking ball. Old highlights between the Houston Oilers and LA Rams show that one of the only ways to stop him was to rip his jersey off. Here goes Earl Campbell. He knocked Robertson on his back. Beautiful, beautiful. You heard that right. And even that didn't stop him or the legacy that he would leave. Earl Campbell is arguably the uh, greatest football player ever. He's on a short list. As far as running backs are concerned, he's on a very short list. And with that came some expectations for his boys. And uh, those guys handled it so well. But this isn't the story of Earl Campbell. It's the story of his son, Tyler. Hey, listen, y'all, my journey, nothing like his. You know, I have a father, I have an older brother. They were the athletic ones. They were gifted from the moment that they started playing the sport. The sport for me was a struggle. When we met Tyler in 2020, we instantly felt a sense of connection. It's like we had known him our entire lives. After you talk to him, you truly feel like you can do anything. You wouldn't believe that he experienced one of the most tragic circumstances thrown at him at the mere age of 21. This curveball could have crushed him, but a Campbell never quits. We're your hosts. I'm Dominique Lavignier. And I'm Clark Dalton. This five-episode series will give you an inside look into the life of a football legend's son and what it took to build his own legacy. This is the story of Tyler Campbell. Tyler's NFL dream ended after he was diagnosed with MS, battling the vicious disease in the hospital. There was no illusion as to how bad I was progressing. From the moment I went to the emergency room and the moment I got up to my room, it was nothing but downhill sledding from there. It was more of my feeling is not coming back. Drop foot has developed. Wheelchair. I remember I finally showered and bathed myself after a few days in the hospital. And I used a walker to get my, I was so determined to go and bathe myself. And I think when I, I finally bathed when I knew that there was a there was a day that they gave me of if it's not better by here, you just need to just go home and we'll, you know, at least you, at least if you're not getting better, you can do it in a comfortable place. But for us, we've done pretty much everything that, that we can, you know, we'll get you an appointment kind of like later to start a, a medication or therapy. That was like my stuff. I got sent home with literally no idea, like, Will it get better or no? Shayna and Josh watched him, wishing they could do something to end his suffering. I feel bad for him, you know? When you think of, like, Tyler, like, Tyler's, like, a really good dude, right? Like, he is, in some cases, one of one. Very rare. 
And so when you think of somebody with such a good heart, always pure intentions, always leading with love, when something like this happens to him, you know, it, it almost, it seems selfish. It seems like, it seems unfair. It seems cruel, right? Like how could such a good person have these experiences? How could such an amazing person go through this? Well, they had him in there and he came out and, you know, I was talking to him and said, hey man, you don't need to be telling people it's going to be okay. You don't need to tell people it's okay. Why? It's not going to be okay. Is this okay? This isn't okay, right? I mean, it had to happen to you, right? So, so stop spending your energy trying to take care of other people. That's not your job. You know, when people are saying, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, Tyler, are you okay? And all that shit. And you tell them you're okay. And what? Well, that's not, that's not the truth. You know, you're not okay. And stop trying to make them feel better about your situation. You know, uh, the situation is what it is, and we need to determine the path forward now, right? In a healthy, positive way. You've certainly got us and your and your parents and everybody else behind you. We know we know you're going to come through a challenging time. You've overcome certainly several challenges. This is a family that overcomes mountains of challenges. Tyler moved forward quickly, refusing to wallow in pity. He accepted his circumstances to find a new purpose. I was heartbroken for him, not for myself so much as a parent, because I felt like his dream had wrecked because this is something he wanted to do. He put his body through that. He went to that junior college. He went did the right things. He ended up at San Diego. He, you know, and I know it was disappointing to him, but so what I tried to do to Tyler is tell him that there's a great life after football. I said, man, you got to agree like I do. Now you got to get in there and try to find out now what's waiting for you. Matt wondered how he moved so quickly. You know, it was just a real eye-opening that anything can happen to anybody. And, and how you react to it is highly critical and highly important. You know, when you can come to terms with it and move forward and say, okay, these are the steps I need to take to live the life I want to live. and be the person that I want to be and always in my view is like instantly in Tyler he already made up his mind where I was like man if I was in that position I'd probably be sitting there for a week going what the heck is going on what am I doing with <laughs> what am I going to do now Tyler searched for his next open door however yet another problem arose it was his last semester and if he wanted to graduate he needed to register for the dreaded speech class he avoided for the past three years it was like the first day of school with speech class these dudes gonna probably like make us get up in front of the class and like speak. It's like, oh gosh, this is gonna be bad from like the first day all the way in. I don't even know what the first day of class was like, but that's what I felt. I remember waking up that morning being like, dude, I should not feel like this going into, I'm about to graduate. <laughs> like, shouldn't be feeling like this. Those are the types of emotions I felt finally like, I'm really about to have to take this speech class. And I'm about to do it with all freshmen. To calm the anxiety, his academic advisor, Bree, found a professor he could connect with. Well, we have, so we either have speech through communications, we have speech through our Chicana Studies Department, and then we have speech through our Africana Studies Department. So a lot of the students had taken one through the Africana Studies Department and really liked the teacher. So because I knew that Tyler didn't want to take it, I figured if we take it with a professor that everybody likes, it would be a lot easier for him. That professor? Dewan Gibson clearly differed from the classic college professor trope. I was 21 when I when I started. Yeah, 21, 22 when I, when I started. So just coming into it, you know, some of my students at the time 
probably 18, 19. So really different situation. You know, I'm coming to the classroom and they thought I, I was a student for like the first, you know, five years easily. So definitely a different type dynamic there when you're that close in age to the students. Tyler gravitated towards Professor Gibson's dynamic immediately. He witnessed a new role model, one which he could use as a template to build a new foundation for his next goal in life. It was so cool because he was young. I could tell that he had worked very hard to be where he was as a college professor. And, I mean, dude was a light-skinned cat, very handsome, you know, like a like a handsome, like, well-made-up dude. Like, kind of one of those things where it's like, yo, I kind of want like be like that. Not necessarily like a teacher, but, yo, be young, be good-looking, be doing something that I love. And also let it be, like, distinguished enough to where, like, not everybody is doing what I'm doing. You know, that's kind of what I saw from him. And I saw a man who was so incredibly confident in what he was doing. I saw a man who was a, he was a gifted writer and he's a, he's an author, right? He's like a a very accomplished person is what I saw. And so it was amazing for him to be that person. For me, I saw the right person. Like I saw something that I really liked and had hoped that I would be for myself. Tyler admired that the professor in front of his classroom wanted to give something back to his students. What made it so awesome was that you knew that he could be doing other things besides teaching. But he was in a position where he also felt it valuable to give what he knew and what he learned back. Because there were some students of color that were in there. There were some black students that were there. and. Like, even though we weren't the majority, you knew that his heart was teaching something and trying to, number one, educate people who were outside of the race through the class, but more importantly, um, put something back into the heart and to store and put seeds into young black men and young black women so that they could be more fruitful, more knowledgeable and more understanding of their culture moving forward. And for that, I have all the admiration and respect for him still to this day for that. Before he could emulate his role model, Tyler confronted one of his biggest fears, public speaking. That's not what I do. That's like me at that. No, 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 no. Even on football, in the football field, I was a captain. I was always a captain. Every level of football I played with, but it was never a captain for talking. It was just a captain for action. So this whole movement of my life, not planned at all. Speaking? Oh, no. No, 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 no. We don't do that. Professor Gibson saw the fear in Tyler's face and heard it in his quivering voice. Definitely didn't have the stereotypical football player ego. Really down-to-earth guy. Really shy. I remember his first speech, and you got to think, I don't remember what the speech was about. I just remember his, his face. Um, and he's like, he's... He's, he's doing the speech, he's kind of shaking his head and he's kind of smiling because he's trying to get through it. And, uh, and here's this, you know, pretty tall guy, he's in, he's in good shape and he's in front of the class and you would, you would think this big, tall, strong guy would just, you know, have this delivery and it'd be easy for him and he's used to being in front of people. I would think, but he's like smiling and shaking his head and 
saying that, that he's going to get better at it. Bree helped Tyler get through that class as much as she could. He did not like speaking. Tyler practiced his speeches tirelessly. And what he would do is, in that little room down the hall from me, he would actually sit in there, practice his speech with the door shut so no one could hear him. And we'd go over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. And then when he was ready to do it, he'd come in my office, we'd shut the door, and he would just present it to me to get himself prepared. And he'd be like, so nervous. So it was one of those, uh, uh, it's like, okay, breathe. It's just me. When you get in and do the speech, look at the back wall, or, you know, stare at somebody that you know so that you feel more comfortable. And, and still, that didn't work. Tyler made progress, but fought jitters while speaking. So that was it, man. I'd be in there practicing my speeches, knowing that I wouldn't be bothered, knowing no one would come on the second floor, knowing that I would use the other time during the daytime, kind of like as refinement, like look over stuff, kind of talk to myself. But in the in the second floor, I'm talking out loud. I'm speaking. I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds corny. Don't do that. I would spend hours rehearsing a speech. Professor Gibson saw a special quality about Tyler that would eventually help him improve. He had a certain charisma. So you didn't see that from everybody. Uh, some people were just kind of, and the class was early too, it was in the morning, and some people were, were just there, you know, just trying to, trying to pass. He was actually trying to get better. You know, so some people, they were just going through the emotions, but he was up there working hard at it. He was talking in his small groups. He was working on, on his outlines. Yeah, so he was definitely somebody to, to remember. Very much so. Dewan continued to encourage Tyler, constructing small blocks of progress. We'd have these things, and it would, it would like no one would volunteer, but he was the one who was raising his hand and he was trying to get better at, at speaking in front of people. So usually, the way it is, you, you give a speech, you, you get over that, that that first speech, then you start speaking more, and have like like random short conversational speeches. So he was the one I didn't have to like I didn't have to call on people. He, he was always there raising his hand, and he was just trying to get better. Eventually, Tyler found his flow and got on a roll. He discovered that public speaking unlocked a hidden liberty, freeing him from the restrictions of his diagnosis. When I started doing it, I felt like a, a release. I felt like like some freedom. I felt like it was a place to, for me to take like some power back to myself that MS had, had claimed. You feel me? Like, I, I felt like, like using my voice was the one thing that MS hadn't, like, stripped from me. Tyler stepped out onto a new stage. Not a football field, but an arena where he could perform nonetheless. It played a psychological game with me for numerous years, but when I got on that stage and when I started talking, that was that's the one arena that MS couldn't touch. And so that was the one arena where I felt empowered. I felt like I have control and I felt like I'm being the Tyler Campbell that I always strive to be, just not carrying a football no more. You know what I'm saying? I had more confidence speaking than I ever had playing football. That's what that one class did for me. In a twist of fate, that speech class ended up being the key to unlocking Tyler's next door. Professor Gibson took a little pride in helping him open it. You always wonder as a teacher, you have a, a lot of classes, you have a lot of students, and you wonder like if somebody actually gets something from this class, you know? And to have someone come back 15 years later, and they're like, yeah, you, you, you really influenced me. You, you were my only, only um, black teacher. Uh, you really helped me with my speaking. It, gets, it felt great, it felt great definitely. 
Bree never had a doubt that Tyler would figure it out. I mean, just because of the type of student he was, I didn't expect him to not do good at all. So when he took the class and did well in it, I just basically told him, see, I told you you could get through it. His senior year could have been the worst of his life. In spite of that, he crawled through the turmoil, emerging from the ashes, inching towards his new purpose. After graduating from San Diego State, Tyler entered business school and started working for his father's company in Austin, Earl Campbell's Meats. I tried to do the right thing and, and tried to do grad school that wasn't for me, but always in the back of my mind, I'm taking classes, I'm doing stuff because I'm gonna take over Earl Campbell Meat Products one day. Tyler's life came together, but MS still lingered like a silent agent waiting to attack. And the unexpected relapses scared Earl and Christian. But when Tyler moved back here, and he was in his own apartment. He did not come to the office, and I kept trying to bug mess with him. I said, what the hell's going on? So I sneaked over to Tyler's house. And when Tyler came out to the car, I saw what MS was. That's how I found out what MS was all about. Because his one leg was like somebody, you know, you meet a human being that legs that's, one is short, one is, is is regular, you know what I'm talking about? And then he took his right hand, I think, and he moved his left arm. And I was saying, what? And he was, and he also stuttered. And that let me know what MS was. That was my first time seeing it. But he was trying to hide it. And I saw it. Fast forward a few years where that same you know, him having the drop foot and him dragging his feet, that multiplies to like him needing someone to help brush his teeth, you know, or him needing someone to help him get dressed. I know one of my cousins was staying with him for a little while. This is after he moved back from Austin. I mean, moved back from San Diego. He was living in, out his, his place out south. And it's like he needed help. Dealing with the relapses created a hard time for Tyler and his family. Whenever it seemed like things became stable, MS attacked again, destroying any semblance of consistency. Shana stood by him during the relapses. She served as an emotional rock as the years passed. I want you to know, like, I know a lot of people say, I'm praying for you or I'm here for you, but they never are like, actually there for you or they're actually how you doing, but they don't really care how you doing. Like you start telling them and they're like, yeah, I wasn't expecting all of that. Like, I just had to make sure that, like, I was, like, a woman of my word. Like, that's my personality. Um, and so just making sure I checked on him. And that's how our relationship grew. Shayna kept a watchful eye on Tyler, making sure he felt okay and never bottled up his feelings. Even when he moved back to Texas, I think it was 2009. And that was after he got out the hospital and it was the worst. He was paralyzed and had um, the speech impediment. We would talk at least two or three times a month. Um, so it was like, how you doing? What's going on? What's the updates? You know, what are the doctors saying? How's your walking? Is it getting better? Are you walking with a cane? And so I think after the first time I kind of went off on him for not letting me know he was in the hospital, he like always gave me updates on how he was doing. The smile on Tyler's face and the good and the bad drew Shayna closer. I can't reiterate this enough. Like his attitude is always positive. And it's motivating too, because it's like, you're going through all of this stuff and I'm going through something so trivial, you know, and, and you're so positive and optimistic, like it's helpful, you know, it, it changes the way you perceive the world. 
And so I just think that like being like having a friend like that makes you always want to be close to them. You know, it makes you feel like you can do a lot of things. It's safe to say that first interaction between Tyler and Shayna was fiery. As the years flew by, the embers sparked more, not fueled by tension, but by respect and appreciation. The burning flames crackled and glowed with love. Deep down, they always knew they shared feelings for each other. In fact, one of their academic mentors, Miss Betty, pointed it out during their college years. I'm pretty sure I opened up about my, my dating history with Miss Betty. I know I, I know I went there with her, so she knew a lot more about me. I'm pretty sure along that also went with explaining my, my friendship with Shana, because she was obviously somebody I cared, I cared very much about. Oh, Shana's overall well-being, her as a person, because me and Shana, by that time, had I had gotten to understand her a lot more. She very much believed that Tyler was in love with me in college. <laughs> she, I remember her, Tyler was walking, Tyler had a, a meeting with Miss Betty, because we both shared Miss Betty. So she was in a meeting with Tyler, and I was scheduled after. Now, I remember Tyler came around the hall while I was walking up to Miss Betty's office, but I, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me until later that he had just came from her, her room meeting with her. And so me and him, you know, we exchanged pleasures. She talked a little bit and I was like, hey, I gotta go meet Miss Betty. And so she was like, I just met with someone and she was like, that boy love you, he just don't know it yet. And I was like, who? And I was trying to figure out who she was talking about. And I was like, only person I know that just walked out of here was Tyler Campbell. And surely she wasn't talking about him. Sometimes, the friendship can actually be love in disguise. I cared for Shayna, and so sometimes you don't know what's like right in front of you, per se. You don't see it, but there's like a special person that's in front of you, but I didn't, you know, that was like a, a special friend, someone I care very much. And I guess when you're talking, it's like you don't understand what you're saying or how emphatic you're talking about an individual versus somebody on the outside looking in is like, Yo, how do you not see, like, love? Because that's what you're saying. <laughs> it's right there in front of your face. You know, after that freshman year, I knew, <laughs> I knew I had feelings for Tyler. But, you know, it just, it wasn't the right timing. You know, Tyler was dating, I was dating. And so there was always this mutual respect for one another. Like, when you're dating someone, you don't, you just... I've had, I had so much respect for him and he had it for me. There was no need to like cross those lines. You know, it wasn't the right time. And then it almost seems as if it was something to like, I would be taking advantage of him to do it when he was in such a vulnerable place. Like my role. And I remember thinking about it in a voice that like, I just needed to be his friend. I just needed to support him. And that's what I did. But I, I like Tyler always had like a special place in my heart. Like that was my guy. Tyler could call me for anything, and I would drop anything just to <laughs> make sure he had it. Shanna helped Tyler at the drop of a hat, but she couldn't bear to see Tyler go back to Austin. And I remember when he, the night before he left, I had already seen him when he got home from the hospital. By that time, his mom was out there, so I was visiting with him, his mom, and Matt. And I told him I would come back and see him before I left. And the night before he left, I was supposed to go see him. I had a really bad day. I wasn't feeling well. And um, I remember going down the hill and I missed my turn to go to his apartment. And 
where he lives, you have to like go around the loop, go two miles up the road, then come back down three if you miss your turn. And so I just was like, I don't have it in me to like do all of this. And I was like, I really just don't want to say goodbye to him. Like I'm struggling just to like separate, you know? And I remember saying out loud, man, there go my chance with Tyler Campbell. (laughs) And that was it. And I texted him and told him I wouldn't be able to make it. And he was like, that's all right. And that that was that. But she didn't miss her chance. Tyler came back to San Diego for a visit and the pair got to see each other again. One day he came back to San Diego. I think it was for a charity event. And we, it was for a charity event. And we went to dinner. And he was like, you can pick your restaurant, whatever restaurant you want to go to. We'll go. He says, that's, that's our first date. I'm like, no, that wasn't our first date. We were not dating. We were friends. There was no conversation about us dating. So that doesn't count as our first date. That was two friends going to get something to eat. But he'll say that was our first date. But I remember it was just different, you know, like that dinner, I'm not going to call it a date, (laughs) that dinner we had, the chemistry was just different, the conversation was just different, we both were like blushing and like cheeks hurting from smiling so much, Um, we had a really good time. But I remember looking at Shayna and thinking, um, I remember thinking like she, I miss hanging out with her. I remember looking at her and thinking, yo, she's she's beautiful. We walked through the mall and stuff downtown. We were just walking. And I remember just, yeah, wishing I could spend more time with her. Tyler also met her parents. I, I know I had a limp. I know I was like lame, clearly somebody battling MS. But I remember meeting her, her mother and her father and they were so kind. Like, they were so nice. Her mom was so sweet, and her dad was so cool. Mr. Watson was so smooth, you know? And I was telling her, like, yo, you know, gotta go. I'm going home, um, about to get ready to leave. I don't remember all of the conversation, but it was things sitting around that. But I remember, like, like seeing her family, like all of them, and just feeling like, like feeling really good. In that moment, like forgetting you have MS type good. Shayna moved closer to Tyler after she graduated, settling in Dallas. Their feelings grew even more every time Tyler visited her. Tyler couldn't ignore the feelings anymore. One weekend, he invited Shayna to his family's ranch in Tyler, Texas. I don't know, we started having more moments where it was just he and I. And so things just started to switch. And then I was in Dallas by myself. I didn't know anybody. He was like, hey, my family lives 45 minutes away. Why don't you come? You know, I'll be out there because his family lives in Tyler, Texas. So he said, hey, you know, he really like he loves riding horses like that is his self-care. Um, and so he's like, you know, he had been experiencing a lot that summer. And so he's like, I'm out there a lot riding my horse. Why don't you come out there? And so I would go to East Texas and be out there with him and his family. And it just it kept growing. Like the relationship just kept growing. After the switch flipped, Tyler finally confessed his feelings for Shayna. It was different, and at that point, it was Tyler who made his move. <laughs> uh, and he, at that time, expressed how he felt about me, which it was just like, you know, man, I waited like all this time to hear you say that, but I just didn't know how to respond or what to say or what I wanted that relationship to look like. So. Yeah, it, it took a while for me to like be agreeable for us to start dating, but 
We did eventually. Their relationship moved fast. It was only a matter of time before he popped the big question. November 7th, 2010 is when he proposed. We had just came from church and then we had Sunday dinner at a restaurant with his family, his mom, dad, um, and uncle. And um, he had left the restaurant. He was like, I gotta go meet somebody to drop something off real quick. So I was like, okay. So he left me at the restaurant by myself with his family, which was fine. Um, and then he came back and he had like this whole different attitude. And I was like, what is going on? And so at the time I was still living in Dallas. And so we went back to his house, his apartment, and I took a nap before I had to get on the road to drive. And so I, when I woke up, like when we went, to, we both were taking naps. So when I woke up, when I went to sleep, he was right next to me. But when I woke up, he wasn't next to me on that side of the bed. So I rolled over. And when I rolled over, he was right there on one knee. And he was like, you know, I had this all planned out on what I was gonna say, but I can't remember any of it. So all I remember is, will you marry me? She said yes. Tyler didn't want anyone else because Shane approved that she could stay with him in sickness and health. She was the only other person that knew, you know, in my close sector of people at SDSU. It's because I knew I could trust her and she wouldn't say nothing. You know what I'm saying? So you take that imagery of us in the hospital bed, me hitting my lowest of lows and me, like my, my body not responding, literally just laying motionless in the bed and being fragile and all of that, just, just broken from the, the, uh, the physical standpoint. My wife was there at the lowest point. She had seen it. I knew that with my wife, I had nothing to hide. There was nothing that I could tell her that she hadn't already seen, you know, and that I think for anybody who's going through anything, like when you have somebody who just doesn't ask a bunch of questions, won't won't freak out um, and will just like listen and just be there for you. Yo, that's that's what my wife was when we were just friends. Um, so she she's been with me in the journey, even when we didn't know marriage was the end result. And so now, um, you know, nothing ever changed. Nothing has, has ever changed. And I'm spoiled. Oh, like I'm, I'm truly beyond blessed because some people don't have anybody to talk to with this disease. Shana helped him endure his MS and hope for a better future. Plus, he couldn't shake the impact of Professor Gibson's speech class. He decided to try his hand at speaking. Tyler told his story at the National MS Society during their national convention. First professional speech is National MS Society. Uh, it was their annual national convention. It was at DFW, the airport. And I don't know if it was a Hilton. I don't know if it was a Marriott, but it was right there next to the air airport. Huge. And I was there. Huge ballroom. Tons and tons of people couldn't believe like I was here like really like surreal you know you're I'm just married living with MS it's like wow really really big deal give hope to people because you played football with this thing and in that moment again just giving all glory to God Everybody says that, but 
my father, you know, you just see Christ's hand all over your, your walk. And you finally get an understanding as to why I got peace and understanding in a closed chapter. No more asking why I went through what I went through with MS. No more asking why about the alcohol, the trouble, the alternative, the PCC, the San Diego. None of that. No more. No more. And oh yeah, by the way, your you and your wife are blessed because y'all didn't give up on each other. You two did the hard work and got to know each other and ruffled each other's feathers along the way and couldn't stand each other, disliked each other along the way, right? All that stuff. But you, it was all roughed and smoothed out because I needed you, my son, my daughter, to go through those things. And now you're married. So it was, and now you're here. I gave you this horrible thing, but now you see why I gave it to you. Look out in the ballroom. All these different faces, all these people from across the country and some across the world. And I need for you to speak. But more importantly, when you speak, your only responsibility, and this is what I knew, the only responsibility is I need you, when you speak, your requirement is that they know that you know me. And Tyler's brother knew just how powerful that story was because he was there from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, he's got a hell of a story to tell. Having a story to tell is one thing, but like when you can talk to people and they can see the authenticity, like you've actually lived everything that you're telling them about. And it applies to everyone's life, right? Like if you're a high school kid and you want to show them your fuck ups and how not to derail your future, then you point to your high school year, your high school fuck ups, right? If you want to talk to people about perseverance and not giving up and um, pushing your, your body, your physical state and your mental state, point to your college career. You want to point to um, how to, you know, get over your dream not working out, point to the life that you're living now at 35 years old, you know? So there's like, there's different things that he can point to throughout his life that applies to everyone. You know, and and my dad's whole thing was like, never quit. Just don't fucking quit. Shit's going to get hard and things are going to get tough, but you just can't fucking quit. That's the one thing that you can't do. At that same conference, a small gesture from children caught Tyler's attention. I remember seeing these little kids get on stage and they were called marbles for MS. Their mom had multiple sclerosis and the kids would paint. They put the marbles in paint. They would shake them, shake them, shake them. And they do these paintings with their marbles. And they were doing this because they hated seeing their mommy hurt. And so they wanted to feel like they were helping by helping mommy raise money for MS. So I was like, yo, this MS stuff, these people are here because they want to serve and help people like me. Tyler decided to speak from the heart, not using a teleprompter. And so when I was up there, it was, you know, prior to... You know, do you want a teleprompter and practice? No. Do you want to practice your speech? No, not really. Because I said, I always suck at practice. If I practice, I'm going to make them feel even more apprehensive 
about having a keynote speaker who's never done a keynote before. She's going to hear me speak and I'm going to be lousy. No, don't want to do that. Tywin felt like he gave a stronger performance when he used this style. So I remember getting introduced, getting called up, wore a black, black coat, and I remember getting out there and looking out and just seeing like, y'all, there's so many people out here. And also feeling like, I'm gonna be okay. I went through Mr. Gibson's class and I know that they're gonna hear and feel the Lord when they hear me speak, even if I don't say his name. And I remember feeling love. I remember the standing ovation. I remember the laughter in the middle, like Professor Gibson asked in those moments of bringing people up and bringing people down and taking them on a roller coaster and making them have parts of your heart and most importantly, having fun, you know? And I took what one semester of a speech class was and I, and I, and I bought that into a professional setting and it was uber cool. Immediately after the speech ended, people adorned Tyler with attention, but he pushed through the crowd looking for one person. And so then all I remember hearing was from people in pharma companies like, oh, we need you to come speak. Oh, you need, and I didn't understand any of that stuff. None of that stuff. But I remember loving the feeling that I had when I was walking to my seat and people were still delivering a standing ovation. And the first person that I saw and wanted to see was my wife. That speech propelled Tyler's motivational speaking career. Soon, more offers rolled in. Tyler spoke for the MS Society. He also spoke for companies that develop medicines for MS. Tyler also works with students like us at the University of Texas and speaks every Saturday at noon on his radio show, Real Life, Real Talk. My life would be the proof that you can still get through it. Why? Because I played the one sport that still to this day, people are trying to figure out how in the world do you do that playing MS with MS. So when I tell people I owe the game everything, I owe the game everything because it gave me a story to tell. I owe the, owe the game everything because it gave me a story to tell. So that empowerment that I found in that class lit a fire in my spirit. And nowadays, it's like I'm playing ball with my voice without the pain, without the hurt, but I'm still trying to be there. And, and, and the, the, the stage is my arena and everybody in the audience, those are my teammates. And I'm not going to quit on you. Instead, I'm going to help you get there further and faster than I could, and we're going to ride out and do this thing together. Even one of the most well-known motivational speakers in the world took note of Tyler's speaking skills. Have any of y'all ever heard of Eric Thomas? Okay, so Google him. He's the number one motivational speaker in the world. All right, that's him. So for me, when I started speaking, he's like the godfather speaking, right? Like he's up there. He's like that guy who you marvel. Whatever profession you want to choose, journalism, whatever, who's the top of that? And you're like salivating over wanting to be that person. You want to emulate whatever that person did. That's what he was for speaking for me. And so I took a chance on myself and I said, the only way you're going to get better is if you get around people who are better than you. I gave a speech before COVID hit and I gave a speech and I was the only one to get a standing ovation. And it was like Eric Thomas heard my voice. Um, and so I was like, I know I can do this. 
My goal isn't wasn't to be the number one motivational speaker. My goal was to go up there to get in front of the best, to know that like I got something that can help people. So I love speaking, but what's at the heart of what I do is I, I love to serve. Tyler serves his community to this day. Next time on, a Campbell never quits. Sympathy's not enough. You have to make people feel where you're coming from. Anybody can feel sorry for you, but if I can, if I can make you feel MS, if I can make you feel what it's like to be stripped of everything at one point in time, then I know I have the capability to, to let you be an agent of change. Join us next week to find out how Tyler's using his new platform to inspire others. This podcast is reported, written, edited, and directed by Dominique Lavignet. Clark Dalton reported, wrote, edited, and composed music. Blaine Young also reported and wrote. Carissa Gregorios created the cover art. Special thanks to Tyler Campbell, Robert Quigley, and all sources who made this podcast possible.